welcome to Theatre Club Podcast. We bring you theatre news, theatre booze, and theatre reviews. Hello and welcome back to another episode. I know we said we'd be back at the beginning of the year. It's taken us slightly longer. And we have got some amazing shows to talk about. We went to see Moulin Rouge. It finally happened. It's here. We've been looking forward to this for a year. I mean, it's one of the most talked about shows, so wait until you hear what we've got to say about it. Cannot wait. We also went to see Spring Awakening at Almeida, which is now closed, but lots of people were raving about that. We saw it right at the end of its run. And yeah, it's a really interesting show and look forward to talking about that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hoping to do the review sooner, weren't we? Because we went to see it just after Christmas. Um, and we were going to review Everybody's Talking About Jamie that I went oh, to yes. see. That got cancelled because of COVID. Oh, yeah. But we made it home for Christmas at least. We made it home for Christmas. We had a lovely time. It rained every single day. But we just stayed in and watched musicals. Mm. We watched Annie Live. Oh, yeah. NB, was it NBC? It was like an American, when they do the kind of live, They remember they did Sound of Music mm. and Hairspray with Ariana Grande. Grease was oh, really yeah. fun. And so they did like an Annie live with Taraji P. Henson, Megan Hilty, who played Daddy Warbucks, Harry Connick Jr. Um, so, and Nicole Scherzinger. And Nicole Scherzinger. I almost forgot about Nicole Scherzinger. So we watched that at Christmas. And well, we watched some we other watched musicals. Encanto, which is the musical, Disney musical. Oh, yeah, with music by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of that, by the way? Encanto? Yes. I was a little bit let down. It was a, like, it was a little bit... I don't know, for me, the story wasn't there. The songs were fine, but they weren't as good as his songs for Moana. But they were kind of fun. I we thought, both really liked the song, Let's talk, We Need to Talk About Bruno, or Let's Talk About Bruno. Yeah, I don't know if I'd even rewatch Encanto. It's just... I. I just wasn't that impressed. I'm not that fussed about rewatching it either. Whereas, like Coco, I really wanted mm. to rewatch that, and I, I watched it with Mum, and she really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Whereas Annie, I actually really enjoyed the live version of Annie, um, which I had to track down online illegally because I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. But that was really fun. I think they kind of like hit hit what they should do with those live musicals, which is not like the sound of music. Kind of pretend that it's it's on a set and there's no audience, and you're trying to film a live movie. That just does not work. You need the sound of the audience applauding, laughing. This was almost like a sitcom staging. Totally, like and you could like. Format. I quite enjoyed seeing the cameras like reframing, or sometimes you see another cameraman in shot. Yeah, and it makes you remember and you can see the audience occasionally that this is live. It's like yeah. watching Saturday Night Live when you kind exactly. of... Exactly, they filmed it like Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I would not, yeah, it looked very like that. And at the beginning, they even opened it with everyone in modern day dress. And then you saw the character playing Annie. The camera followed her on side stage and you had the dresses there in their COVID masks, putting all their costumes on, doing the quick change. And I thought that's a clever idea to be like, yeah. this is a live, like a live Broadway show. Yeah. We've got the dresses here. We're doing this during COVID. This is... Yeah, I thought it was quite a clever idea. We really... I felt like watching that was like a really good vibe experience. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. I just thought it was really fun us all watching that at home. I just felt like... It felt like we were watching a live performance. Yeah, even though we obviously didn't watch it live, like people in America... No, but it felt like we TV. were at the theatre, yes. kind of. Yeah, because you could hear the audience laughing. So all the jokes kind of landed a bit better because you're sort of laughing along like you would with a sitcom yeah and they've even just like seeing the staging like when they're mm-hmm. in the orphanage and all the beds around the side of the stage they hadn't tried to make it look like we're on a film set no, it's, it like it's, stage it's set. like yeah. as much stage as you'd have to use and yeah. oh the choreography was really good wasn't it i was really happy they left in two songs from the movie so in the movie they wrote two extra songs and we've got annie as one of them um for 
Who was Bob Fosse's lover? Remember from Fosse Verdon? Yes. Why do I always forget her name? So Vernon... Anne Riken. There we go. Um, so they wrote She's We've Got Annie for her in the movie and she does that big dance number and they put that back in for Nicole Scherzinger. Otherwise her character doesn't get to do much and Nicole Scherzinger's obviously a trained dancer so I thought that moment was cool. That's so She's interesting like, that you know that. I would never lift. have known that. I would have just thought watching that, oh yeah, that's the song from the film. Yeah, no, it's not from the stage musical. But that actually was supposed to be left out. Yeah, well, it was originally in the stage musical as that opening number. What, Oscar? Because there's not, Your there's, knowledge is insane. I think uh, on the original cast recording, they've got like an extended edition where the writers talk about it. And the opening was set at a soup kitchen and Annie worked at a soup kitchen and they all sang about her and how like helpful and nice she was. She had a job? Yeah, she had a job. I think that was like an original premise is that she worked at a soup kitchen. So that was an original song that got taken out and then they put it back in for Anne Riken to have her dance number. And then they put in Sign, which is between Miss Hannigan and Daddy Warbucks, so that Carol Burnett and Albert Finney had like a number together in the film. And they put that back in for Harry Connick Jr. and Charlie P. Henson. In this? Yeah. Oh. When he's trying to get her to sign yes. anyway, that's, that was written for the movie too. And I, I thought it was fun to have that back in. It was interesting. I remember you telling me after we watched that, you were like, Arlene Phillips did all the choreography for that. For the movie, yeah. For the movie. And I was like, God, Arlene Phillips is so underrated. Like, It was we a don't, really well choreographed. We film. don't appreciate how good a choreographer she is because she's become a personality, mm-hmm. a TV personality yeah. to me. She's just famous. For being on Strictly. Yeah. Yeah, some of her work. I thought Annie's such good, a well choreographed film. Because as a child, that just was so imaginative and made you want to be... And like really... Made you want to be an orphan. Made, made, you, made you want to be an orphan and also made me want painted tap shoes. That yeah. was what sparked that need for painted tap shoes. For me, it's tap- when they were swinging off the chandeliers in the and doing backflips and stuff in the orphanage. And then they're all out on the fire escape. Oh, yeah. Just so, like, so much fun use of climbing on things that, like, that speaks to a child's imagination. Mm. Very clever. Speaking of... Um, using your imagination Oscar and I used to play the tape and we used to we had like a wooden floor do you remember and we'd polish the floor and then we'd make mum come in and be Miss Hannigan and scream Mm -hmm. at us and mum would always say like if somebody had walked past the house and seen mum going clean that up you little pig's droppings and us polishing the floor we would have been yeah yeah, child services (laughs) would have been called but also what was quite funny is that oscar and i love polishing the floor and mum would just Mm. give us polish and wrap like we properly did it oh mr muscle it was lethal yeah, the fumes. No, not. as in like once we'd polished that floor with the it was oh, so slippery. The slip inside of that floor <laughs> yeah. and every single work surface in that room made of wood. Yeah. You couldn't even grab onto <laughs> grab onto a cupboard. Zoop. <laughs> yeah, and that was our perfect Christmas, really. I know, and but we you watched Meet Me in St. Louis on Christmas Day. Oh yes. Yeah, we had a very like cozy musical Christmas. It was nice. And do you know nice. what else? You know how um you left early? Mm-hmm. well you left for new year's and i stayed down went to my friend's party the next day um and i kind of well i thought i was gonna go I, I stayed down for new year's eve went to a party thinking it's like how wild can this be we're in this countryside it turned out to be pretty wild mum collected me the next morning and i had promised to go on a bike ride oh big mistake big mistake <laughs> i got halfway bike. down and we were like we'll cycle to the parrot pub we got mm. halfway there and I saw signs for the golf club, which is right by our house. And I thought, yeah. I said, oh, can you get to the golf club down this track? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, should we just do that instead and like not bother going to the pub? And they were like, no, no, no let's push on. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was so hard. But yeah. actually, once I got home, I felt really like a sense of achievement. 
It was great. Yeah. And so went to put see what was on the TV. Sound of Music was on mm-hmm. right at the beginning, which is yeah. a key thing for me. Yeah. You I don't want to miss any of it. I want to watch the whole thing all the way through. Also, some great moments at the beginning. Hills Alive with Sound of Music, obviously, and then have Silver Problem Light Maria yes. right at the top. You kind of need that. Yes. And do you know what? Watching it this time around, I was like, I haven't seen it for years. The, there's some absolutely ama- it's filmed really well mm. when she goes to see the you know when the, she's in trouble with the Nazis mm-hmm. and she goes to see um, Mother, Superior. Mother Superior the way they've shot that with her in the darkness and Mother Superior's it's very simple mm-hmm. it's amazing yeah. I was like mm, I'm actually appreciating this on a new level and obviously well it literally directed. made mum's year that I watched that with her yeah she's she, been dying to watch that for like, <laughs> it was the best thing I'd ever that was her yeah. Christmas come true it is a great and film. I was too hungover to like complain or do anything yeah oh and then i made made me made her make me chips in the deep fat fryer mm, which was so nice chips. oh lovely um and then i she was like what do you want with it and i was like i just want some steamed broccoli you know when you just want something yeah healthy steamed broccoli and chips okay it sounds weird doesn't it yeah um i think i had a fish finger too when she bought the steamed broccoli out she had put sesame oil on it mm. and i thought it's not what i asked for no, you're mixing too many things. Though. Yeah, why did you do that? So I sent it back, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just got I want some... it struck off the bill. I don't want to eat that. I'll have some steamed broccoli. So she just did it for me in the microwave. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, that was my that was my that end was of nice, my nice New day. It was really nice. So then January, we were back in with Moon and Rouge and Spring Awakening, which we're going to discuss on this episode. But before we do that, let's. Do a top tip. Oh, my top tip this week is something that um, I saw on Today Ticks, which I'm looking on all the time because they've got such amazing deals this More than year. usual, don't they? Oh, yeah. Because it's dead time of year and COVID. And I saw this exclusive offer for a musical called But I'm a Cheerleader. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about it. I just know it was based on a I, film. You've not seen the film. Have I seen the film, Mosk? I don't know. I've definitely seen the film. Um, it's Tell from, me about it and I'll see if I can remember the, it. I want to say early 2000s, maybe year 2000, 2001, and it's Natasha Lyonne from Russian Doll. Yes. And um, Claire Duvall from The Faculty and okay. a million other films that I can't think of now from the 90s. And it was a very sort of low budget, independent queer film about a girl who's a cheerleader and her family are like, we think you're a lesbian. Yes. And it hasn't like occurred to her that she is. And they sent her to this, it's like a... They sent it to a sort of gay conversion place, but it's quite, uh, it's a comedy and it's very sort of subversive and quirky and, you know, it's not like a dark thing. Obviously there's the dark undertone of why they're all there, but she meets a girl and they fall in love and it's a really sort of quirky, funny It does ring a bell. And it's become a cult classic and I haven't watched it for ages, but it was a really good film. And interestingly, this musical, I saw a workshop of it. So this, as you're saying, is going to be on at the Turbine Theatre which is uh, Paul Taylor Mills' theatre. And before... Who's Paul Taylor Mills? So he he did In the Heights, the UK production. That was his production. That He he was the first UK production. So he's like a producer. In the Heights. He's a producer. And then he became the artistic director of The Other Palace at a very young age. How um, old? How old? He's in his like early 30s now. Wow. Yes, okay. so he was really young. Um, he wasn't actually artistic director for long. I think it ended up not being what he wanted to do. And so he's now set up the Turbine Theatre. Um, which is in Battersea. Which is in Battersea. But when he was at the other palace, he had this idea to do, it was called Musical Theatre Fest, and it was sort of staging work-in-progress musical theatre, mm. um, little workshops or stage oh, yeah. readings. 
And I went along and saw a really good one called Bloody Bloody Jessica Fletcher, which was really fun, a murder she wrote musical. I wish we could see that. That was so good. I remember you telling me about it. And then I saw But I'm a Cheerleader, and it was, I think, some songs from the first act only. And it was really, yeah, it it went down really well. I can't remember a massive amount about it. I remember liking some of the songs and thinking some of the others were a bit generic. I do remember thinking, hmm... Is this a tad generic? Mm-hmm. But also, I remember finding it funny. Anyway, it's obviously he's obviously carried on with that one. It struck a chord and has now developed it as a full production at the Turbine. So I'd be interested to see it. It's yes. a fun story. It's on from the 18th of February to the 16th of April. And it's at the Turbine Theatre, which is in Battersea. And it's a small theatre, so I yeah. think the view in most seats would be good. I think that would be really good fun. And I should say that he also produced Heathers, which... Did really well, so so this they're hoping is probably going to be like another Heather's cult cult movie turned into a musical. Yeah, I'd be interested to see that. I mean, we're not like West London people, are we? Battersea's a bit of a myth. I know it is a bit far, but if um, they're doing a Sunday matinee, which I love going to theatre on a Sunday, you go and get a roast afterwards. They're doing four o'clock performances. I think that's a really nice thing to do on Sunday. You can walk along the river, yeah, amazing. Okay, so top tip out of the way, let's talk Moulin Rouge. Yes. So Moulin Rouge, for anyone who doesn't know, is an amazing film by Baz Luhrmann from the early 2000s. And Baz Luhrmann has long been trying to turn it into a stage musical. There was once talks of it being a Vegas show. He was wanted, there? Yeah, he wanted to get um, Nicole and Ewan McGregor to do it again. Anyway, in 2018, it finally got to off-Broadway, so a Boston tryouts, and then it went to Broadway just before the pandemic in 2019. And when it was in Boston, they released some press photos, and I remember looking at them thinking, yes. wow, this is like being in a film set. They've staged, they've done the whole interior of the theatre in Boston, and they did it on Broadway, and they've now done it in London. They've fully Moulin rouge it, full red velvet. The big giant elephant from the film is coming out the side of the theatre the windmills on the other side it's not like you're looking at a stage and going wow that's really cool you're inside it they've made you feel like you're in a box within the moulin rouge which is like a cabaret club in paris yeah it's so so cool so when we heard this was coming to london we were already excited just because those pictures were stunning um and we booked tickets last year we paid 89 pounds we paid More 89 we pounds, pay. we, went, we were like, let's go big, let's get good seats. And... Yeah, we still assessed what was worth the money, and for the for the 89 pounds, we thought that was the best price meets view, rather than spending, because the tickets, let's just say up top, are very expensive for this show, but we spent 89 pounds, we've been looking forward to it for a long time. You picked excellent seats, Oscar, by mm-hmm. the way. You did well, your research, and I'm, I was really, I felt like, because you know when we spent 60, I think we spent like 60 or 70 pounds to do Dreamgirls, Dream Girls. yeah. And we were at the Savoy and we were too far back. And I thought, I wish we paid an extra 30 and got better or paid paid less less and got got even worse. Like it just was too, it just wasn't right. Well, I'll tell, we'll talk seats maybe at the end. Okay. So let's just talk. So we've already said that the theatre is kitted out. Like the outside of the theatre even has a huge neon red sign saying Moulin Rouge. You go in, there was like a palpable buzz. We should say that on a Tuesday night in January. Definitely. In the audience. Yeah. So this new staging of Moulin Rouge has added... What I knew going in is that they've added new songs. The film obviously had pop songs from, from you know, Madonna to Queen kind of worked into it. And I knew that they had added new, more current, more modern songs into the score of this. And so that's all I knew, really. The opening of this show is the best opening of any show I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Ever. You are ever. so bang on the money, Oscar. 
Ever. I... The only other time that I felt as elated, pumped, oh my God, want to, like, like mm-hmm. my, I'm sort of like, I want to get up, is when we saw the San Francisco Ballet of Bjork. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only other time that I've been, like, breathtakingly, like, like, this is amazing. Yeah, I feel like the overture to Gypsy is something that makes me, like, so excited, or the beginning of Follies with that huge set, but nothing like this. This is basically, they decided to be, like, the... That the opening of the film, which is quite a rush, when he goes into Moulin Rouge and the cameras that is swirling, the word. It's a rush, an adrenaline rush. They put that film live in the in the theater, like swirling cameras, fast editing, everything. They put it on stage, and you're like you're sucked into it. And it's I don't know how long it was. It must have been ten minutes long, maybe. Yeah, it was long. And the girls come out, and they're literally in the can can neon print skirts. They are dancing and they don't stop. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, they are like... And then they even after that song ends, they're still going on dancing. Yeah. And there's not a lot of people in this. So they're not ever really off stage. They're yes. all on stage quite a lot of the time. It's a small group. Everything just worked together. The lighting was incredible. The set the set was like just perfect. Oh, it like was... The money spent on it, it's all... It was perfectly realised. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about the other amazing thing, the other amazing scene in it, which I felt was just top notch, which was the Eiffel Tower aerial dance. That number? Yeah, the Elephant Love Medley, is it called? When the, when when Christian and Satine first, yes. they have their big ballad duet, which is all the famous love songs put together, Love Lift Us Up Where We Belong. And- yeah, and I thought that was the other standout moment where I thought, oh my goodness, they've got an Eiffel Tower come to light. They're now on a hoop. The stars in the sky. That was amazing for me as well. I think my other moment was the opening of Act Two. So after the interval, they do a huge dance opening. It's when they're all um, all the dancers in the Moulin Rouge are preparing to do the show. And they have done, um, I can't think what the song now was. It was Lady Gaga, Bad Romance was the main kind of core of the song. And then they mixed in... Uh, Seven Nation Army from the White yes. Stripes and the dancing is so so good the dancing in this show is like all of the all of the what was nice is I felt like each person on stage has their own amazing style of dance mm-hmm. I felt like they've really cherry picked some really interesting casting in this yeah not only do they work well on their own, they yes. work together really well as well. Yeah, and the choreography is by Sonia Taya, who I know from... Remember So You Think You Can Dance? The um, yes. American like dance competition show. She was a choreographer on that that was always really kind of edgy and I really liked her. And I didn't know that she choreographed it until I was just reading about it recently. And it's so her style. It's kind of angular, edgy, harsh movements with more lyrical sweeping it had like a real mix of everything. Mm. I just thought the choreography was incredible. It's really sophisticated for a big Broadway show like this, a big West End show, sorry. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you could think, it actually it could have been quite pedestrian, like, yeah. you know, yeah. with these shows. So they can just chuck money at like the set and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Mm, this is a next level. This is really high caliber. Oh, everything works together. The other thing I want to talk about is Satine. Yes, let's talk about the casting. Let's talk about the casting. So Satine, we mentioned Dreamgirls earlier. Did you recognise her from Dreamgirls? Because I recognised her voice instantly. She played Dina no, in the West End. because I'm not you. I don't remember things that I saw eight years ago. No, ago. but I listened to the soundtrack, the West End She was the recording. understudy that came on for two dances in 2017 that we saw Alice, and I'm like... No, but do you not, have you not listened to the West End Dreamgirls recording? No. Oh, you should. It's really good. It's a live recording, and it's amazing. So I recognised her straight away. Lissy Lafontaine. 
Lissie Lafontaine. What wow, a great that's name. Satine Lissie Lafontaine. Yeah. What did you think of her performance? So when she first came down on that beautiful swing and did her mm. opening number, I was... I kind of had that moment, I guess because I had high expectations, when I thought, oh, am I going to like this? And then she sung and I thought, oh, she's a singer. Like, mm-hmm. she's a proper singer. Yeah. You know, she's not necessarily like a, a all-around performer. Yeah. She's an incredible singer. Yeah. And I actually think I'd almost rather have that than have somebody that is a little bit of everything mm-hmm. on, a, on a show like this. Yeah. I really want my leading lady to be able to belt it out. I want to enjoy all of her songs. Yeah. So for me, it was perfect to have her. Yeah, I think her accent was a little bit... Because I think she might be American. Because mm-hmm. her accent was a slightly jarring. Mm-hmm. She was sort of doing a posher kind of British. Yeah. That jarred a little. And then... Christian, who played Christian? Because he's fresh out of drama school, I heard. Jamie Boggio. Yeah, and he's... So I think this is his <laughs> how, first How has she got such an amazing name? Lisa Fontaine, and he's Jamie Boggio. Bog standard. <laughs> yeah. And he's fresh out of drama school. And I think finding that out in hindsight, as oh, that kind of showed. Mm-hmm. I think he was perhaps a little out was, of his depth. Yeah, I didn't... I didn't um, didn't love him. Didn't think he was perfectly cast. I thought his voice was... He had a Josh Groban vibe. Mm, um, yes. Sort of, you know, quite... That's a similar voice to Josh Groban and a similar sort of like floppy look. But I think um, that's the main weakness of the show for me is the central pair. Mm. So I think when I think about the um, the emotional connection to the central love story wasn't there for me. No. So what I remember is the visceral experience of watching it, but the central love story, which in the film is more of a pull. Because mm-hmm. I think the end of the film is heartbreaking, but I think the central love story doesn't actually work as well on the stage. And I don't know if that's because of them together mm. as a couple or whether... Yeah, maybe it's just their inexperience. I just didn't buy that. But I think... The whole show's great, but I would pay £90 just for those 10 minutes at the beginning. It's so good. I think the thing for me is, like, when we turned to each other before we'd even got to the interval, and we were like, we're going to come and see this again. Mm. It is amazing. It's really amazing. I think a lot of the songs they've added are really good. I will also say that there was one moment they've added that I didn't like, which was before the Elephant Love medley and after Diamonds are Girl's Best Friend, they added what I felt was a superfluous number where they both dance together on the floor of the Moulin Rouge. And I think, let's just let them meet in the elephant. Mm-hmm. Why Why do they need to meet there? And the songs they used, which was um, Shut Up and Dance With Me and a pink song, Raise Your Glass. No. Oh, yeah. to, it, that moment was too Glee. Yes. I feel like Glee have literally done that mashup already. So that was like, <laughs> that, was a, that was a big no-no. I think snip that whole thing out. But some of the other ones, like the Lady Gaga, Bad Romance, White Stripes, that dance number was incredible. What did you think of... The other thing I think of when I think of the film is I think of the Roxanne number. Tango de Roxanne. Mm -hmm. They did that really well. They did that really well. And that was a moment for um, Sophie Carmen-Jones. Oh, she was good. She's a good dancer. More than a good dancer. Like That was incredible. Yeah. You've got to have someone that is just sexy and powerful and... Yeah, that moment was really... Because that's one of the more theatrical moments of the... I mean, the whole film's theatrical, but that's like a standalone dance theatrical moment. And they that lived up to... Me too. Expectations. I was kind of waiting for that and thinking, hope this nails it. And it really did. That was really, really good. Yeah, Tango de Roxanne. I mean, I definitely want to see it again. Um, and I think... So yeah, this is a huge recommendation, I feel... 
I'm sure some people were invested in the love story. That bit just didn't work for me, which is a shame. But everything else is just stunning. The costumes, the set. Um, who played Harold Sidler? Because I thought he was brilliant. Oh, Harold. So he's the sort of master of ceremonies yeah. at the uh, Moulin Rouge. And they that's another... Jim Broadbent in the movie. Yeah, which is such a huge role to fill. Mm-hmm. And he did it. I mean, it's like watching Jim Broadbent. It kind yeah. of felt like it was the same. Yeah. But in, I think he brought his own element to it. And they, his character was like more over... He was gay in this and he wasn't in the film. I thought that was like a Clive Carter. Twist to put in it. Clive Carter. He was brilliant. But you know, I didn't even feel like Toulouse that him him kissing those guys. I didn't even really feel like that was even a twist because I actually felt in the film like Jim Broadbent's character... Oh yeah, it was a lovey. Yeah, no, He it was wasn't a total a... like scoundrel kind of... Yes, and they didn't make a big thing of it. I thought it just added it more texture to, to that me. character. I was just like, yeah. Yeah, I thought the casting, apart from maybe the central two, was kind of brilliant from there on down was amazing mm-hmm. Toulouse was great yeah I think it's it's like one of the most fun I've had at the theatre for a long time it's like a, it's a spectacular spectacular it really is it's so worth the money let's talk about money though let's talk about it because tickets they're not cheap and a couple of people who have said it's so good have said oh you know it's like it's so expensive so obviously I think our general review is it's worth the money mm-hmm. like it, you're going to get your money's worth however there are varying scales at which you can pay. So we booked a long time in advance, which meant that our tickets were £90. And we sat in the first circle, so not the stalls yep. downstairs, we sat in the first circle and we were row H. No, we were D and E. Oh, were we D and E? We were D and E, and it's the first four seats of row D and E, slightly cheaper. And so we, instead of doing like one, two, three, and four, we did three and four on D and E. So we sat because four of us went, we sat two in front and two behind, so that you're further in. But those seats, if you book in advance, we had a look today, if you book a couple of months in advance, they're £90. If you book them for next week, they're, I think, 135 or something, 150 Wow. So if you if you basically, if you want to book, oh, let's go see Moulin Rouge next week, it's expensive. Those seats are 135 They're great seats, though. I, obstru- no obstructions. I'm like, book those seats, they were great. But I think if you want to go, book in advance and get it for £90. Or if you book on the day. So I had a look for tonight, for example, and they were, I want to say they were 79 So they're a bit cheaper. And tomorrow they were 89 again. But then for the day after, they were 135 So basically you have to either go on a whim and look what's on that day. And I mm. think especially now because of COVID, people drop in and out of going to see things. And it's January, but maybe February 2 will be the same. They have tickets on the day that are cheaper. So either spur of the moment it or... Two months in advance. Book in advance and go for... This probably doesn't apply to weekends though. I think weekend tickets are really expensive. But if you go on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Monday night, first circle, row D, row E, the th- like seats three and four are really good. Mm. You're not. It's not a side on view. You're really not far from the, from the stage. It is also really worth, worth mentioning that when we were there... We kind of, you know, walked the back of that first circle to see mm-hmm. had we got cheaper tickets and sat further back, would we have been happy? The answer is no. There is an yeah. overhang. You will miss the top of the stage. Yeah. You'll feel further away. I really wouldn't go further back than G. No. I think try and get D and e, those D and E seats three and four are really good um, and try and get them for £89. And I, I know that's a lot for some people and I can't comment on what the cheaper seats up in the upper circle are like and I haven't sat there for 
15, 20 years when we went to see Guys and Dolls with Ewan McGregor. (laughs) Speaking of Ewan McGregor. But I do feel like if you're going to... What we felt when we booked is if you're going to go see Moulin Rouge, go big or go home. Yeah, you know, we don't go and see... We don't go and see, like, huge, big West End expensive shows very often. We do, like tickets today ticks offers or we try and Mm -hmm. get seats the minute it opens yeah so we just thought let's let's treat ourselves it It was my birthday month Mm -hmm. and it was worth 90 pounds they were really good um so other than i can't really we don't really have any tips at present at how to get a cheap seat to see moon and rouge and i kind of feel like if you want to see it just just save up i don't know my question to you is a lot is that now we've spent the 90 quid, mm-hmm. we've both said that we want to go back, mm-hmm. maybe not straight away, but before it closes, just oh, to yeah. have, you know, that experience all over again. Yes. Shall we go sit downstairs and be properly part of it, like right at the front and centre in that, in those seats? Or should we get some like, really cheap seats and mm, see what it's like? I don't think I would go cheap and sit at the back of the circle because I feel like you do want to just be close enough. I feel like the whole theatre is... Because of the way they've decorated the inside, you'll always feel immersed in it. But I feel like you do need to be close enough to performers to like feel it. I think so too. So I wouldn't go much. I wouldn't go cheaper. I would rather think let's go next year. Like hundred and twenty pounds, and maybe sit down in the stalls. I would probably just be tempted to go for like a ninety pounds where we were again because I think they were really good value. I just like to change up my seats. Like when we went to see Hamilton, we've seen it twice. We've Mm -hmm. seen it in two different areas. Yeah, I want to true. sit downstairs and I want to see what it's like to see it. From I don't down think there. I would pay to go, like, I don't think I'd pay £150 to go and see it for a second time. But I would maybe try and find a £90 seat, maybe, I'd book, maybe I'd book on the day, see yes. what they had, returns or whatever, and try and get a £90 seat in the stalls. But it is it is an amazing show. It, it really, really is. We were just all buzzing after we saw it, weren't we? Yeah. And um, it was quite fun. Opposite the theatre, there's a restaurant called Brasserie Zadel, which is a sort of a institutional, thing. you know, it's been in London for years. It's a great big French restaurant. You go downstairs, French bistro, French yeah. bistro and it's very opulent. And it's... Big deco. It must have been like an old bank building, I think. Yeah. And we went there for dinner first and had martinis and then literally stumbled outside. And there we were at the Moulin Rouge. And yeah, that was it's a fun. nice way to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. I loved it. And I've created a Moulin Rouge cocktail inspired by the famous scene where they drink absinthe for the first time and see the green fairy. Have you ever had absinthe? No, and I don't intend to have it now. Why? Because I don't have any. Oh, okay, fine. I just didn't know if it was like, I is it like an hallucinatory type thing? I have actually had absinthe once, and it used to be, I think famously in the time of the 1920s, it was, it did have an hallucinogenic properties, but it doesn't anymore. It's just a, it's just a liquor now. Oh, okay. And it's got an aniseedy taste, which is not Mm. my vibe. Um, so that's why I've never bought absinthe and I'm not making a cocktail with absinthe, but I'm going to make something green. Can't wait. This is the green fairy martini. So I just wanted to make something green. So I've used apple sours, which is what I had in this green. So it's apple sours and then it's gin, but I've used a honey gin, but you could just use regular gin. And it's equal parts of both really. And you mix them together, the juice of one lime, some agave syrup or sugar syrup for just if it if that's a bit too sour for an added bit of sweetness. And that's it. I like a sour drink. Mm. It's really nice. Yeah, it's just apple It does taste apple It's like an apple teeny, but mm. with, with apple sours and um, a gin, 
But if you didn't have honey gin, just I quite like the honey taste, so I'd like a splash of honey as your sweetness. Fun having a coloured cocktail like that. Yeah, just mm. something green. I can think of what else would make something green. I used to have chartreuse. That's a nice green liqueur, but I ran out of that. It tastes disgusting though, doesn't it? Mm, yeah, it's quite, it's an odd taste. It's a bitter herbal. Oh yeah, it tastes gross, but it looks great. Yeah, I mean, look, monks in the 1600s enjoyed it. <laughs> That's it, still made it like a monastery. Is it? Yeah. But, so this is an apple sour, this is a green fairy martini. Mm, yum. Lovely mm. ask. Let's have another one. <laughs> That's all the apple sours I've got. I ain't buying any more. Do you know when you have that one bottle of something yeah. sat in your... I've had this apple sours bottle for over 10 years. I've got a bottle of liquor. It. I need to show it to you. It's really expensive. I've got it on a shoot and I've never made anything with it. Yeah. So this was my perfect opportunity. I'm like, I'm going to use that apple sours. Um, so the last show to review is it's now closed. It was on at the Almeida and it was Spring Awakening which is a rock musical that I'd always heard of because it famously had young unknown cast at the time in the early 2000s, but it included Jonathan Groff and Leah Michelle, who both went on to appear in Glee and have become big stars. And Jonathan Groff was in that really good crime series on Netflix, Manhunter. Mm. No, was it called Manhunter? Mindhunter. Mindhunter. Yeah. But I didn't know anything about it. I'd never listened to the music. I'd just seen, I think, the Tony performance that they did. And I knew it was a rock musical based on a play about a group of children in Germany that are sort of growing up. They know nothing about sex. They're very, they live a very repressed, in a very repressed society. The adults around them don't want to tell them anything. And they, so they sort of start discovering things on their own and it's got quite dark themes in it. And that's all I knew. So we went to see this with our mum who had, she had been in the play, hadn't she, as a child, as a teenager, as a teenager um, with her friend and she's still friends, friends with Dave. So they both came along because they wanted to see, you know, they have fond memories of the play. Neither of them had seen or heard of the musical either. So we all went to see the Almeida. It seemed like a very Almeida style show to do. Because they don't do a lot of musicals there. I can't no. think when they last did one, but this seems very Almeida. And the staging was really stripped back. It was a big set of stairs. It was just stairs that went up to the back of the stage. And it's a very young, again, a young cast of fairly unknown actors. I only recognised uh, Laurie Caniston from The Ferryman. And then also Amara Okariki, who was in Les Mis. Um, but other than that, they're, yeah, they're a very young cast and it's got a very like punky kind of feel to it, doesn't it? There's like a live band there. They've sort of gone for a non-musical theatre style. Like the, the performers in it, I noticed right from the beginning, they're not, they don't sound musical theatre trained. And I don't mean that as like a knock to them. They're all really good singers, but that... I'm sure, and lots of them, I'm sure, are musical theatre trained, but that's not the style they were going for. I felt like they'd been told not to like sing the songs, but to kind of act the songs mm. and channel the emotion of the angstiness of it. And having never heard the music, I actually liked quite a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, we kind of we quite like dark things. We're not really into the cheese pop, big yes. brush. You know, we like a kind of bit something mm-hmm. a little bit dark. Something that sounds a little bit off sometimes, I'm quite into. Well, if the substance matches the music, I just, if you're seeing a banal musical like Big the Musical, it's just like a banal story, a fun but banal story. If the music's also banal, it's just blah. Whereas even the songs in this that I didn't love, because the story's kind of interesting and edgy and like very dark, it carries the whole thing along. Hmm. And I felt like they'd gone, they'd just had some really interesting themes of like youth, um, anger, that they'd sort of channel that into like an activist kind of... They they did a lot of drawing on the stage. With chalk, yes. With chalk and, it, and like spray painting. And it had this kind of um, 
there's a song in it that ends with them all sort of saying blah, 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 blah. And that's kind of timed in really well with the Greta Thunberg, you know, when she was in Scotland recently at the, um, the summit. summit. And yeah. she, she was saying, you know, it's all from all the like authorities. It's all just blah, 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 blah. And I felt like they'd really honed in on that. And that created like a really clever link between modern day, you know, youth wanting to have their voice heard when they feel underrepresented, that was such a clever tie-in and such like a kind of lucky coincidence, I guess, that that was a big part of that song, Mm. the blah, 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 blah. And that was kind of her catchphrase. And those two things, they really kind of, I think the music dropped when they did that number. What was that number called? That was really good. It was called something like fuck you or something like fuck off or something quite aggressive. Totally fucked. Totally fucked. Yes, totally that fucked. was it. That number, the anger that they got out of that was really good. And the kind of wild, run, like the choreography was really fun. It was sort of very energetic, but they tried not to make it look too overly choreographed. It was rough around the edges. I think they did a really good, really good use of the space that with people running in and out. And they had used the back and used this kind of corridor to mm. show meetings that were kind of happening in secret. I thought it was Rupert Gould directed, actually, which he's our media artistic director. And for an older, you know, cishet white male, I feel like it felt like it had a youthful energy Definitely. to it. Um, which I think... And that kind of kept it alive for me and kept it. And I think the the performances are also key. I was really like, just everyone had a different look, a different energy. So I really enjoyed watching all the performances. I felt like if it had been a weaker cast or less kind of vibrant cast, you might have, yeah, been a bit, I think it kind of won us over in spite of maybe it's not the sort of thing we would usually enjoy. Yeah, but um, it's closed now. Um but I feel like it got some really good reviews and I think it deserved them. It got great um, reviews and yeah. extended as well, I think. Yeah, I think it was an exciting production and I feel like we'll see all the people in it in other things. It felt like, you know, the next day, Michelle and Jonathan Groff, whatever. We should talk, we should mention also one of the key things about the Almeida is the seats are amazingly cheap and you get a really good view. Mm-hmm. We paid, is it 15? 20, I think we paid 15 pounds or 20 pounds. Uh, we sat front of this first balcony, kind on of the sides. on the sides, and you just see everything. It's such yeah. a modern theatre. It's just like so great, and that's when you think we've only spent fifteen quid. Yeah, and if you wanted to get a really good seat, it wouldn't cost you an arm and it's a like leg. Like fifty either. pounds to sit yeah. in a good seat. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think I made a. We always like seeing things. We, we were obviously really sad we didn't get to see Macbeth, but I thought this was also a great production. I hope they do some more musicals because I feel like. They do it well. It's like nice to see someone do something edgy and different, but with like they've got enough kind of budget and um, artistic sort of heft there to like get stuff done at quite a good, good level. And mm-hmm. they can cast some amazing people like Sir Sharon and you know, they get some great people at the Almeida because yeah. everyone wants to be part of an Almeida production, I think. Mm. So, yeah, that was a really good, good fun show. Totally different than Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But um, that, that was quite a start to January, wasn't it? But two kind of really visceral shows in different ways but yeah. yeah you're so right so i think that's it for our for our first podcast back sorry it's taken us so long i've had a really busy january work wise yeah you've been really busy filming a tv show in studio so no wonder you haven't had time to do this but now you're free you can get back you to the... see some more things yeah maybe go see but i'm a cheerleader yeah so thanks for listening to another episode of theatre club podcast please rate five stars when yes, you go on onto your spotify, spotify your itunes wherever you listen to this podcast it it does mean you know 
great. It means together. the world to it means us. The world. Thank you, dear listeners. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening, and we'll be back. Hopefully, it won't be as long a break. I know we often say that, and then it is. <laughs> but you know, this podcast is not about consistency; it's about quality. <laughs> so, thanks again for listening to Theatre Club Podcast. Bye, everyone. Hey, sister. Go, sister. Let me see the ghost. <laughs>